Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Hour two on a great day for talk radio. I see a lot of folks making their way home as it's quitting time. Not for us, though. Taking it right on through to seven o'clock, going the extra mile, so to speak. All right. Uh, because we're mandated to do so. But you know, for the commuters, I was mentioning this earlier in the last hour, in Luxembourg, this tiny Benelux country in Europe that's sort of sandwiched between France, Germany, and Belgium, uh, they've got a new initiative that they're going to allow commuters to use buses, trams, and trains for free. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, this is an interesting one because, as Mike had pointed out here, <laughs> Michael Downey, you can basically walk the country, can't you? So, uh, but they say people under 20, this is their initial salvo, uh, that uh, people under 20 travel for free and commuters only paid two bucks, uh, roughly two bucks anyway, two euro for up to two hours of travel. Two hours of travel is going back and forth <laughs> across the country three, four times, isn't it? I mean, but they say it's got bad congestion issues, 200,000 people streaming in and out of the country on a daily basis. And I'm thinking finance is one of the things that they've got going on there. Remember when people would squirrel money away tax-free in Luxembourg? It's like kind of a Switzerland light. But uh, because there are, and so why would they care about, you know, transit being free? I think you basically get them to pay whatever you'd ask. But anyway, this is sort of the wave of the future. As we know here in this city, John Tory implemented those under 12 get to travel for free, and there's a greater impetus towards getting people onto transit, even though the transit file, as we found out from the Auditor General earlier this week in the report, uh, has been bungled with Metrolink's uh, sunk costs that will not recover to the tune of, I think, $436 million or something like that. Let's find out what the deal is with this story and transit in general. Joining us on the line, Steve Monroe is an author and Toronto transit advocate. Steve, good to have you back in the program. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. What do you make of this in Luxembourg? Uh, they want to make it free transit for everyone. Well, I was looking at, <clears throat> pardon me, I was looking at the numbers in the article where that all of the hype of this has been announced off of, and Luxembourg currently recovers a very small portion of the total cost of running their transit system from fares. So it's very much different from the situation you have in Toronto, where over a billion dollars a year comes to the TTC from the fare box. And frankly, if you want to run the TTC for free, uh, you got to come up with a billion and change just to replace the existing fares. And I can think of a lot better things to do with a billion dollars a year than just give away free transit. Well, how are they managing in Luxembourg? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's quite common in other cities around the world that the rate of subsidy of transit is much higher than it is here. Here, about 70 cents on the dollar comes from the fare box, whereas it is more common to be at or below 50% and sometimes down in, you know, the 20s and teens. So um, when you've got a situation where the fares 
are already not covering the lion's share of the cost of running transit, the, the additional money you've got to find in order to make it totally free is a lot less than a situation like here, where where fares are the main revenue source for the TTC. All right. So in other words, they're heavily subsidized. They're heavily subsidized, yeah. Okay. I mean, about- there, there are also, there are cities where um, the transit system, I mean, Hong Kong is the classic sort of poster child for this, where the transit system also is a real estate developer and has access to revenues from large amounts of property. Uh, and so basically the system is subsidized by by real estate revenue but that's no different than the city owning the property and turning around and handing you know the profits from that to the TTC it's just a question of you know whose books you put it on well haven't we seen that uh, proposal i guess out in the city's west end i think it's the Mimico station yeah selling the air rights um yes but you're not going to make a fortune off that i mean the Mimico station um, the work that Metrolinx is getting done for it amounts to something like $20 million. Mm. And that's a one-time job. So uh, $20 million won't get you very far, you know, running the TTC on a day-to-day basis, or running Go Transit for that matter, on a day-to-day basis. And when you, for example, when you look at Metrolinx's capital program for planned um, enhancements of Go Transit over the next 10 years, you know, we are well into the many, many billions of dollars, and you are not going to make that up, you know, 10 million here, 10 million there, selling air rights to a condo over a station. Well, hang on. There are some stations where you can monetize the air rights, I would say. I mean, look, the PAPE stop uh, on PAPE just above the Danforth, they spent years refurbishing that. It's just a small one, but, you know, you've got a whole parking lot. But that's, the, that's, that's the, the big issue that we have here is that most of the land, Pape Station, I mean, it's funny, I was at Pape Station earlier today, uh, most of the land there uh, in the neighborhood is not owned by the city. It's owned privately. It's either houses or it's the commercial strip on the Danforth. Yes, there's this, this, the land directly above the subway, mm-hmm. but that's the only part that's already in the city's hands. And, of course, that has its own construction challenges because it's not like you can dig a whacking great hole in the ground and put a parking garage under the building because the subway is already there. Right, I understand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> could so lead. It, it, <laughs> part, part of the problem we get into with the the whole idea of transit-oriented development is that if years ago the city had been buying up land when it was cheaper, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, far in excess of what was actually needed for station buildings and had, uh, you know, a good land assembly around the station, they'd be in great shape. I mean, ironically, Go Transit at some of its stations, which have huge parking lots, uh, has lots of land, but the stations are are, you know, in the middle of nowhere relative to the the cities that they nominally serve because they're they're in old industrial subdivisions or they're you know kind of out in the country um whereas you know basically people have to drive to get to the go train because it's not right beside where we're going to leave that is changing bit by bit at a few stations but it's a long you know it's a long haul to get there well there was a proposal earlier this year you might recall where uh, i guess some on council wanted to sell these city lands that uh, were parking lots for the subways, the subway stops, yep. and monetizing those. So it's kind of the same approach. It's the same approach, and, and but at the same time, the city actually, now I haven't seen the list because I don't think it's up on the city's website, but just today the mayor put out a letter 
uh, that'll go to council next week, listing properties that are city-owned properties uh, that he is proposing as the first rollout for the city affordable housing sites. And this comes into a policy question. If the city owns land, fine, you can sell the land and make a potload of money on it building a condo, or you can use the land to as a, as a site to build housing where you're not having to pay a fortune for the property in the first place, which is the condo issue, uh, and, and thereby putting more affordable housing on the market. So the question is, which do you want to do? Do you want to create affordable housing by using land that you already own and not sell it, or do you want to monetize the value of the land? Well, that's the question, because uh, as I understand it, some of these properties that the city is looking to uh, open up for development are primo locations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether we max out and monetize on that or we devote that to affordable housing. I mean, that argument surfaced with Regent Park oh, redevelopment. Yeah. And, that, and that can go back and forth. And, and, I mean, one of the issues you get into when people talk about primo locations, well, fine, you can pick a, pick a site and you can develop it for uh, high-priced housing and, and take the money. And then what winds up happening is that the sites that are less desirable, the ones that are further away from transit, that aren't close to good shopping in neighborhoods, they're the ones where the affordable housing gets built. So you wind up with, with uh, people who are, you, the very people who you're building this housing for, being forced to live in less desirable neighborhoods. So, I mean, there's, there's trade-offs back and forth. Yeah, yes, it's just a question of, uh, you know, the philosophical approach to how you max out on uh, municipal property. Steve Monroe is with us, author and Toronto transit advocate, citing Metrolinks. Now, the AG's report came out earlier this week, and uh, it suggested that, you know, there's a real hash going on with this operation. For example, uh, something like $436 million, uh, much of which was sunk costs that we can't recover because projects get shape-shifted or changed. Uh, What do you make of... uh, What's going on with Metrolinx as far as Well, that's... I mean, um, to be fair to Metrolinx, <laughs> which considering, I mean, there's, there's another chapter in the same AG's report which talks about the revaluation of, of some new station projects and how basically they were cooking the books to make projects look good because the minister wanted them or because the mayor of Toronto wanted them. Um, the, the issue Metrolinx faces is that people are constantly moving the goalposts uh, on what kind of transit they want to build. So, for example, um, if you if you say we want to build a subway where you previously wanted to build an LRT line, that's a change. Every time Metrolinx has to re-engineer something because you know the party in power changes and they've got their own new plan, that costs money. So, I think to be fair to Metrolinx, the issue is to break down which of the costs that are you know quote wasted money due to Metrolink's own sort of dithering on what it's going to do as opposed to being asked to do something and then, you know, the 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 the, the projects change next week, so they're gonna do it all over again. Uh, and I think that's that's one thing where it's 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 an ironic contrast between those two chapters, one of which where it's quite clear it's political interference that triggered what Metrolinx does, and the other one where the AG seems to be putting more of the blame on Metrolinx reacting to changes in the political environment. Well, we saw that. Uh, I mean, that go stop that was uh, put in Vaughan in Del Duca's riding when he was the Minister of Transportation, uh, was that a good idea? Well, no. And I mean, and the point there, um, and it's, it's the whole process is documented quite thoroughly in the, by the AG, was that the original Metrolink's recommendation was this should not be built. Uh, there is no way it's going to make 
it doesn't make sense to build it there. There's no development. All it's going to do is slow down existing trains and discourage people from riding them and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and, you know, basically we've got better places to spend our money. Let me ask what you. happened was that basically the minister said, well, I want this station, and it, it reached a point where the ministry issued a press release announcing the station, and Metrolinx had to scramble to change their report to match what the minister was going to announce. Mm. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's pretty blatant interference. Now, the, the AG is suggesting that, well, if that's what the minister wants to do, he should write a nice letter to the chair of Metrolinx or the CEO of Metrolinx saying, oh, please, yes, I know this, this is not a really good idea, but I want to do it anyway. No politician on the planet is going to hold a press conference making an announcement where there's a report, a professional report from his own staff that says this is a bad idea. Yeah, and and no agency, you know, Metrolinx is not going to produce a report like that. The, the the big example we have in Toronto was several years ago when there was the whole debate over the Scarborough subway. Uh, Gary Webster, the then chief general manager of the TTC, said at council, "I don't recommend the subway. We don't need it." Mm. For his troubles, he was retired a few days later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the that is the position that all public servants in agencies like that face is that you co- you, you you have a contrary opinion to the boss the politician's attitude at your peril. Well, according to Josh Matlow, we're still debating the Scarborough subway. Well, we'll see. I mean, the, the real issue with the Scarborough subway. Well, actually, no, there's two issues. But the first one is that the the updated cost estimate has not yet come out. It's been rumored to be substantially higher, but until I actually see the report, I'm you know I'm a wait and see guy. I want to see what they actually estimate it. Uh, and then that's the first question: Is the city willing to pick up the additional cost? And now, of course, that Doug Ford wants to upload subway construction costs to the province, well, is the province willing to take on a Scarborough subway that is going to cost a billion dollars more than the previous estimate? And, of course, he wants to both extend it and add stations, which will add even more billions to its cost. So, you know, the the question for Doug Ford um, is, how much is the Scarborough subway worth to you? Well, they say the cost, last I heard, was $3.35 billion. You may have a different number, but the TTC would run it, operate it, maintain it, and yada, yada, yada. So- and and that's, that's, um, that's all very well and good, but there's, there's one important detail in this whole uploading proposal that really hasn't been settled. There are, there are two, quote-unquote, maintenance budgets at the TTC, and one of them is sort of day-to-day maintenance of you know, keeping the stations clean and the trains working and things like that. Mm. Uh, and the other is major overhaul work where, uh, you know, you take out a train in for its, like, its 10-year overhaul or you replace an escalator or, like, the new signal system that's going in right now, mm-hmm. replace track. Those are on a separate capital budget, which uh, has been for years understated. The size of that budget's been understated basically because the city doesn't have enough money to pay for all the stuff they need to do, so they just leave things out of the budget. The question is, if the province is going to take all this over, where is the line going to be drawn between the two types of, of project? And is the, pro- is the province going to pay for all the stuff that isn't even on the list because the city hasn't been able to afford it? Well, um, not to mention the Bombardier cars we've ordered that uh, immediately need to go into the shop and be upgraded. Yes, well, Listen, they, I, at least, they at least run once they get here. Oh, do they? Okay, well... Uh, <laughs> There's over 100 of them on the street now. Yeah, they are, but uh, there was supposed to be 
204. Oh, I as I, I know. They, uh, they claim there will be the rest here by the end of next year, and we're all crossing our fingers and toes to, right. <laughs> to and see that. Holding our breath. Yeah. Uh, Steve, good to talk to you. As always, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. You got it. Steve Monroe again, author and Toronto Transit Advocate. Didn't even get around to the cost of, well, the Presto card. The TTC Union, the amalgamated guys, 113, think it ought not to be privatized. It's too unreliable for the uh, agency to end the MetroPass program next month. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.